I can say that that moment is 100% a showstopper moment. You know, the first time she dresses herself in ice, it's a gown. But then, you know, two days later, she's like, this is not practical. We're putting pants on. There's an amazing dance break that I still think about two years after I saw it. This is a generic tiara for all princesses and queens. So it's multi-purpose. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Off to Broadway, the podcast where we deep dive into anything and everything musical theater from the comfort of my car. I'm Tara. I'm Stefania. And in today's episode, we're talking all about Frozen. So as we all know, on March 12th, It was announced that Broadway would be shut down to help stop the spread of COVID-19. So every single Broadway show has been shut down since then. Off-Broadway, all theater. And all shows were expected to, for the most part, return uh, whenever Broadway is able to reopen. Currently, the reopen date is after Labor Day weekend, but... um, I don't know how realistic that is at this time. Yeah. So Frozen thought they were in that exact same situation until on May 14th, Disney Theatrical Group announced that after the Broadway shutdown was over, Frozen would not be returning to Broadway. And I'll actually read the quote from Thomas Schumacher that he made during that announcement. He said, we believe that three Disney productions will be one too many titles to run successfully in Broadway's new landscape, whatever that new landscape is. No one really knows. Yeah. Um, It is also important for us to say that pre-COVID-19 and pre-Broadway shutdown, Frozen was the weakest in terms of ticket sales for the three Disney theatrical productions. Yeah. And just to also say those three productions are Frozen, Aladdin, and The Lion King. Yeah. So before we get into the business side of everything, um, I think it's important to celebrate this show in some ways that we can because Frozen did run on Broadway for two years. Which, or I think it's almost like exactly to the date, two years. So it opened March 22nd. So very close, almost there. Like with previews and stuff. And I got to see Frozen twice. The first time I saw it was very close to right after it opened. And then I also saw it a year later. And I think for anyone that has seen Frozen and for anyone that has seen the movie Frozen, I think the expectation when it was announced that Frozen was being turned into a Broadway musical was extremely high because no one really expected the movie to be as successful as it was. I think it was kind of a surprise at the time. And as soon as we had heard these songs, I think it was a no-brainer that they were going to turn this movie into a musical. The question that I have and something that we can get into a little later is, did they take too much time Um, to get this show actually on its feet and running on stage? Maybe. However, seeing it and seeing it twice, um, I think that the show is good. Obviously, I saw it twice, so I really did (laughs) like it. It's a kid's show, and I think that the performances are really great. Um, I have my own issues with the way that things were put out in terms of set and the magic and that Disney magic. But overall, I do think that it was a really fun night at the theater and especially a really fun night for a family at the theater. Yeah, I think the movie was such a huge hit that it was almost a no-brainer that they were going to musicalize it for the stage. And I think those talks were probably occurring even before the movie opened and were just kind of resting on how successful the movie was. And I believe it was in January of 2014, the movie came out in November 2013, that they announced that uh, Disney Theatrical was working on a stage production of it. So they they moved quickly um, in getting it announced and getting a creative team together. 
but they didn't end up opening on Broadway until 2018, so almost four years later. I think to develop a musical in that time, four years doesn't seem that crazy, especially um, if you're starting like from the ground up, which some would argue they're not because the script was ba- was already in play for them and the characters already existed. But I know that when Frozen Frozen was first announced, there was a lot of like, we are not doing this musical unless we do it right. And the argument now is, well, did you do it right? Mm-hmm. I think it's taste, obviously. I know that this show was not a critic's pick. But then again, are Disney shows really ever critic's picks? The Lion King was truly acclaimed. But I also think because that was the first time that there was any sort of like puppetry used and it was very elaborate on stage. It was so different from anything people had seen before on stage. I don't know. I've never seen The Lion King. and I know you saw it for the first time last year. If So the three that were running on Broadway, Aladdin, Lion King, Frozen, you've seen all three. What what do you think sets The Lion King and Aladdin maybe ahead of well, Frozen? And I think you can speak to this too because you also saw Aladdin in Toronto. So the pre-Broadway, yeah. Yeah, we... I really did not like the production of Aladdin that was in Toronto. I thought that there were interesting moments. I thought the genie stuff was really great, but the story that they tried to tell, and I know that they changed it for Broadway probably because of that, but it really almost villainized Jasmine, and that was like not the right approach (laughs) to take. She was a really snobby, stuck-up kind of princess, and I didn't care for that. Um, I think when you attach the words Disney to any production, you want to see that magic. And I think that the flying carpet scene was great. But other than that, it didn't feel that magical to me. But if we're going to talk on a scale of what's my favorite, Uh I did enjoy Frozen more than I enjoyed the other two. I really didn't see anything that special in The Lion King, which is I know shocking because and probably an opinion (laughs) that people are going to come for me. But I had heard so much about it for 10 years and then when I saw it I was like oh this isn't exactly what I thought it was gonna be like I thought it was so beautiful and I think that the cast in the audience with all the puppets is really amazing but other than that I don't know the movie is better and I think that's what it comes down to all the time with these shows is that the movie is just better it's a better format for telling these stories exactly but like is it really that fair to compete with an animated movie maybe not but I mean I also have the same argument today about all of these live action remakes it doesn't compete and it doesn't compare with the original so why are we trying to compete and compare with the original that being said if frozen was coming to toronto i would see it in a second yeah (laughs) i love frozen (laughs) but yeah what's your take on aladdin on aladdin again we only saw the pre-broadway tryout which was here in toronto so we were very lucky to get that and i thought it was fine for the most part it was, it had the really exciting moments. I thought the high of Friend Like Me was never matched throughout the rest of the show. And it's tough because when that's halfway through your first act and the rest of the show just cannot get as good as that moment. Right. How your your kind of, your emotional high was two hours before. Exactly. Um, when, by the time you get to the end. And I would argue that some people probably say the same for Let It Go in Frozen. You know, that's the act one finale moment. It's also a moment that if you're buying a ticket to Frozen, you are there to hear let it go. And you're you're there to hear it sung the way that you want it to be sung. And I can say that that moment is 100% a showstopper moment. And that's due to Casey Levy mm-hmm. and her option up, which <laughs> we'll get into when we talk about the song itself. That's what the five-year-olds are there to see. They're, they're yeah, to let it go. 100%. But I will say that I think in comparison Frozen to Aladdin and again we did see the pre-Broadway and we know that I think the genie was added into the first song when yes. it hit Broadway. Yeah. 
So for me, Frozen starts off getting you in and pulling you in. And that's with the young Anna and Elsa. And you see that journey of them and Elsa learning that she has the powers. And I think the kid stuff is so great. And I think that the magic that they do with young Elsa and showing Anna how she builds Olaf is really amazing. And then it sort of slows down a bit. However, there's nothing like that first time in forever when the doors open and you Mm -hmm. see this amazing puppet of Sven just walk out. I know you've seen that video. That puppetry is pretty fantastic. There's a video on Broadway.com. It's a character study of Sven. And I watched it, I think, three times in prepping for this, uh, (laughs) this episode because it was super fascinating to watch him put on the costume and what that entailed, all the padding everywhere. And that it, I thought it was two people in there for some reason, but it's just one guy. Yeah. It, it's a great puppet. It's a really good puppet. Yeah. So I think we should get into what we think was done right in this production. Um, I think it's also important to talk about what was done wrong and then what we think could have been a little bit better. So as we said, I have seen Frozen twice on Broadway. And I also want to point out that I did see Frozen in Disneyland, California, which was like a scaled wow. back production. But we saw the sing-along in Orlando. We did. We did. We, we did see the sing-along <laughs> in Orlando. It snowed soap and I cried. <laughs> There's a video of us screaming, singing, let it go out there. So find that video. Actually, we should repost great. it. We'll repost it. But um, the Frozen at Disneyland California is sometimes argued to be better than Frozen on Broadway just because of set pieces, which we'll get into when we talk about what they got wrong. But for what they got right, I think we need to start off with this amazing cast. And I think it's super important to mention the fact that Disney made Kristoff black. And obviously in the movie, Kristoff is white. All of the characters are white in the movie. And Disney made it so that the character was black and that he would only be played by a black actor going forward. Jelani Aladdin originated the character of Kristoff on Broadway. I think casting him in that role is a perfect casting Uh, i think jelani aladdin is just super talented and i think he his voice suits those songs really well they're very he's very smooth and i know specifically in the song you know Kristoff doesn't really get to sing in that movie that much even though they have the beautiful voice of jonathan groff but he gets a lot to do in the musical and i think what do you know about love really lets him show off his voice a lot and i love that so much love's not an easy climb one of my favorite new songs is what do you know about love that was one of the first songs that was released i also think that if you dive into the cast recording and you listen to christoph's lullaby which possibly is now titled what do you know about love reprise i'm not what confident do i know about love i googled this i know what the there changes you go. are okay. we'll talk about the changes so, but i'm pretty confident that it's the same song they just changed the title what do i know about love everything i thought i did you've gone and changed it But yeah, if you're if you want to hear an amazing Jelani Aladdin moment, listen to Christoph's lullaby. His voice sounds so great in that song, and especially when you want to 
elevate the character of Kristoff itself, which I actually think helped elevate the character of Kristoff in Frozen 2 was through the musical. And yeah, I think perfect casting for Jelani. I'll also say, yes, I did see Frozen twice on Broadway, but I saw 1.0 both times. I have not seen the new production. It was only there for less than a month, so not many people saw. But the new production is also what they're doing on tour. Let's talk about that, actually. They cut the for the first time in forever reprise that makes me really upset (laughs) (laughs) i i do like that reprise and i for some reason uh kids really like that song which is weird i don't know why i i feels like a weird one for kids to like i think it's because elsa gets to use her powers maybe even though they're not used in a great way (laughs) she still gets to use them i just think the song that they replaced it with which i'm sure is your next point. <laughs> yeah, so they replaced that with a song called I Can't Lose You, which is a duet between the sisters. And that is something that the show was probably missing before. Just mm-hmm. a straight duet about how much the sisters love each other for their motivation. I can't lose you like before. Do you think there was another moment that they could have had a duet or? So, yes, I think replacing First Time in Forever Reprise with that specific song feels wrong to me because now I feel like there needs to be dialogue for why Elsa accidentally gets upset and shoots Anna with the ice in the chest. This song ends on kind of like a lovely sister moment. And I find it hard to believe as an audience member without seeing it actually on stage that Elsa would shoot her. Like, right. why is she, she's not angry enough in that moment to get this power back and to accidentally shoot Anna. So it's kind of confusing that that's the moment. I also right. think that first time in Forever Reprise, if you listen to the cast recording, if you listen to Idina Menzel sing it, that moment when she sings that I can't, it's so powerful and you feel awful for Elsa. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a weird moment. And I watched Sierra, Renee, and Mackenzie Kurtz perform it on Live with Kelly and Ryan. And it ends sort of with Anna hugging Elsa, but Elsa doesn't really know how to react back to her. So I do wonder if there was dialogue added to make that moment make more sense. Yeah, there probably is more stuff in there. But it is an interesting one because they took out a song from the movie to add this song. So mm-hmm. I don't know. They cut down Hugi? Hugh? Hugi? I think it's pronounced Huga. Huga, that sounds right. Remember that younger episode that was all about Huga and they put the sweaters on? Anyway. Yes. Do you like it or you don't like it's it? It's a six minute song. Um, I didn't need it. I didn't I need didn't it. need it either. And and if you can believe, it follows Let It Go. I mean, there's a twenty minute intermission in between. <laughs> but to have that come after Let It Go. You know, there's a one minute scene in the movie that this song represents right and the one minute scene in the movie was maybe too much for me yes (laughs) i will also say that 
the cast is basically naked on stage during that moment. Love that. Love that for They're us. just wearing towels because they're going into the sauna. And I think when they performed it in Denver, they had to actually change some of the script because it was a little bit too risque for their audience wow. of primarily children. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. It's just a weird song a weird music a, a weird moment to musicalize so i understand why they cut it for this 2.0 version Higa means comfortable Higa means cozy Higa means sitting by the fire with your cheeks all rosy I also think that the character of Oaken could have actually been gone from the show altogether. Right. I agree. Having not seen it. Um, and they cut on a solo true love. I know this solitude. I know this kind of cold. But I had faith in what the stories told of true love. How I'd find true love. Fine. I'm also fine with that. <laughs> I I think Patty sings it beautifully, but it gave me nothing. I feel like it would just stop the show. You, you have momentum building, and then you have to stop for this kind of like sad song. Um, and we just need to move it along, girl. Yeah, I also think for the moment that it happens, I can't remember if it's before or after Hans tells her that he won't kiss her, but it's somewhere in that time frame. And is it after it, he leaves her to die? Yes, I think right. you're right. Which kind of, as you said, it just like loses the momentum because it's such a, I mean, if anyone's seen the movie, we all saw it coming, but it's such a shocking moment. In the theaters, I remember, we, so we saw this together. You had seen it already, and then we went together, and I remember gasping at the Hans oh, yeah. reveal that he was evil. It was so crazy. Yeah, and especially when you have Santino Fontana voice the movie version, and his voice is so great. I love his speaking voice in general. And then you have John Riddle on stage, who is also lovely and then replaced by sadly only for a month ryan mccartan who also seems like the sweetest person when that moment happens it is truly a you suck like we hate you huns although i normally root for the villain so i was sad i was sad to not see hans return in frozen 2 to be very honest i i really wanted hans to come back hans fan club yeah i part of me wonders if the 2.0 version was to cut the budget in any way. I don't know if the running time went down, if that helps with the budget in any way, um, if certain effects were cut, or if certain things were just to try and get it a little tighter so that the weekly running costs were lower so they could be able to turn more of a profit. Um, but I do know that they spent a few weeks reteching the whole show, which is expensive to pay your cast for all those rehearsals. They took all these new beautiful promo shots. People have new costumes. They did a lot, and they spent a lot of money basically one month right before they shuttered their doors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I know they'll use those costumes um, on tours or future productions and sets and stuff, so they'll be able to repurpose stuff. But it's just an interesting decision, though we, we will see what Broadway looks like, and maybe they were the smartest ones here. Yeah, I think when... It was announced that Frozen was closing. There was a lot of tweets and comments saying, if Disney can't keep their doors open, who can? And I think that's a very real statement that's put out there. However, they did 
sort of, as you said at the beginning of this episode, back it up with that they couldn't sustain sustain mm-hmm. three productions on Broadway. I was reading something that said that the only shows that could put, possibly have a chance are the ones that just opened or were about to open right. because, you know, you have your Wicked's and your Phantoms, although Andrew Lloyd Webber says the Phantom is never closing <laughs> ever. But those shows have been on for a really long time and most of the people in the audience are tourists because the New York crowd does not need to see those shows for the 50th time. So it is interesting to me that maybe the smaller shows or the ones that haven't opened will get a chance. But yeah, to have Disney shut their doors sent a huge message, I think, to the Broadway community of no one is really safe in this time. Just to go back to um, the costumes, I think the costumes are something that falls into the category of this was done right. I think it's really important in a musical that's adapted from a movie to get the costumes right. And I think that Anna's dress in her coronation day is one that everybody knows and loves. It's that black dress with the green and there's like kind of flowers on it. And then obviously Elsa's Let It Go dress is iconic and amazing. Talk about that costume change. As we said earlier in this episode, I've seen Frozen twice and also the California version. I thought when I saw the California version, which was before I had seen Frozen on Broadway, that they got the dress moment right, which is the character of Elsa's wearing her Coronation Day outfit. And then there's sort of like a string situation and she pulls it and spins around a circle and the dress comes down. You can see the mechanics of it on the fail videos that are on YouTube. Yes. When it I was going to say, when you, when you have to do it yourself, there are bound to be some issues. Um, so I think when Frozen again was announced to be on Broadway, everyone wanted to know how the dress reveal was going to happen because obviously in the movie, it's It's animation and you can do whatever you want. The set around Elsa is a little bit disappointing in the let it go moment, but the dress moment itself is amazing. And I think the best way to see that is they did a performance on The View and they showed everything. It was basically a pro shot. Even the watching her like glove fly away and her cape, I was wondering how they did that. I was like, that's magical. It's gotta be on like a string or something. That's my theory. I, I assume, but yeah, so... So Casey comes out and she's wearing, as I said, the coronation outfit. And, you know, if you've seen the movie, I mean, I feel like every little kid can reenact the exact choreography from Let It Go. <laughs> but um, she takes off her gloves. It flies away in the wind. And she's she takes off the cape and the cape flies away in the wind. And then it gets to the I'm never going back. The past is in the past. And you're like, it's happening. We're ready for it. What's going to happen? And there's a trap door, which I when I saw it the first time, I sat third row. Couldn't tell you where the trapdoor is. Mm-hmm. When I saw it the second time, I sat in the balcony. Still couldn't tell you where the trapdoor is. But it's like a huge flash of light. And it's this amazing dress that's covered in, I think, like thousands of Swarovski crystals. It's Swarovski crystals. It, it, that, that's where their budget is, went <laughs> to this dress. Which means that as soon as that dress hits the light, it's just like shining and shimmering everywhere. And it's so beautiful. Specifically for that scene, though, I will say sitting in the orchestra versus sitting in the balcony, there's a big difference because Elsa is making these frozen fractals everywhere. I feel like this whole episode is just going to be lyric puns as we go on. (laughs) But um, as she's doing that, she's stepping on the ground. And when you're sitting in the orchestra, you can't see the ice projections. But when you're above, it's like, oh, this is a totally different show. This is a totally different scene. We've also made this comment for Dear Evan Hansen that the projections from above are so important. The stage projections. Yeah, it's nice, I think, anyway, when the production team or the creative team does something or add something that only people on the cheap seats can see. You know what I mean? 
Yes. It's like when you're close, you're seeing their faces. But when you're up high, oh, there's all these different elements that people up close can't see. So it gives you a different experience. And it does motivate people to go back and spend money on a second ticket, which you did. Yes, I did. By that time, the tickets were way cheaper than I paid the first time. But yeah, so the dress reveal is so great. And we assume that it rips from the center and then falls through the stage. Um, it's her so coronation quick. outfit it's so fast it's literally like blink of an eye if you blink during that moment you definitely missed <laughs> and you're like holy dress is now in front of me and then she you know she takes off the clip from her hair and casey gives some elsa some like confidence attitude it's really great and then as everyone knows casey options up and she kills it every time and we saw it in her concert recently too mm-hmm. and it was so good In the movie, it ends on like a kind of little like sassy, soft, the cold never bothered me anyway. But because it's the act one finale, she's got to go up and like, because she's just alone on stage being the act one finale. So she has to like make it happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think even if you watch the Tony performance that they did, she opens up even more. Um, yes. And it's insane. Her voice is crazy. Her voice is crazy. Also, we need to shout out the fact that she's Canadian. She is one of us. (laughs) I think that she really represents Canada in such a positive way. Her Broadway resume is stacked. She's so talented and she seems like the nicest person. And I feel like Elsa was kind of a dream role for her too. I know she has a really young son who I'm sure has watched Frozen many times. Mm -hmm. I think there was like a character study with her and I think she had her son with her and to have your son sit with you and watch like a Disney princess come to life. I just feel like that's so amazing. Yeah, I'm sure artists love creating art that then their children can appreciate, not just when they're older, but when they are Mm -hmm. at, at the current age that they are now. And so to have her son who was the exact market for these movies and this musical is probably so magical. I'll say when I saw it the first time, I went with my mom and we were sitting beside a dad and I believe his daughter was four years old. Oh my God. And she was really into Olaf as most kids are. Yeah. But watching her see potentially someone that is her hero up on stage so close in front of her I feel like that also made my Frozen experience so amazing because we talk about the theater a lot and how there are some very disrespectful people (laughs) sit in those seats and it's no secret that a show that has kids like there's bound to be talking and crunching of bags and food and whatever but if you do end up sitting beside that right kid that appreciates it it just means that much more to you as a fan and as an audience member so that really like touched me the first time I saw it it was so cute the bad for let it go unfortunately is the set as we had said at the beginning of this episode when you're putting a Disney property on stage magic is something that should be I think first on your checklist because that's what everyone is there to see they're there to see that Disney magic I mean, we can attest to this. You walk into those Disney parks and it's magical from the first step and you want it to feel that way when you enter a theater. And as I said, I think the beginning of the show, the magic was done super well. And then as it went on, and we all know my stance on projections, (laughs) there were 
a few too many projections for my liking. And I get it that it's ice and it's difficult to replicate ice, but some parts of the show, I think the ice was done extremely well, specifically in the what do you know about love scene and song. There's an entire bridge that's covered with ice and the bridge cracks in the middle and they sort of fall and they try and save each other. But in Let It Go, the most iconic moment from the movie should be the most iconic moment on stage and not just the vocal performance of it and to not have that ice staircase and the ice chandelier was extremely disappointing and that's something that we knew before I even saw it because the pictures came out of what the set would look like and Mm -hmm. in the background it's just kind of like a Swarovski curtain so it's just very glitzy looking but for for me sitting in the orchestra the first time and not even knowing that there was ice projections on the ground it really felt like there was nothing except for this dress moment and yes you're so like enthralled by what's happening on stage and her voice but then you take a step back and you're like oh why did this look like that why was it just a projection it should have been more and as i said seeing it at disneyland california that is a disney park and they had a chandelier and a staircase and The Broadway budget did not have either of those things. So it just felt a little disappointing to me. Would you say Let It Go is the highlight of Frozen on Broadway? Or do you have other like favorite songs, favorite moments? Um, I do have other favorite songs, favorite moments, but I do think that everyone is there to see Let It Go. So yeah, I, I think I walked in with high expectations and set aside, I walked out being satisfied with what I saw. A highlight for me is one that I don't, love in the movie and that's fixer upper i think that fixer upper is like an okay song in the movie the trolls are cute whatever but there's an amazing dance break (laughs) that i still think about two years after i saw it and i wish that there was a video online but the fixer upper version broadway version to me is better than the movie version I was listening to it today. There's like a drum in the background that it's yeah. like the, the orchestrations are really, really cool. The orchestrations are great. The trolls are not exactly trolls. They're just like wearing these people are dressed in like vines and everything. And they have the young Anna and young Elsa turn into trolls for Fixer Upper, which is so right. cute because then you get like the baby trolls, which are obviously in the movie. Was Timothy Hughes grand Pobby? So he's like a giant man. <laughs> yes. The tall man from Hadestown. The tall man from Hadestown. <laughs> I have seen the tall man twice. <laughs> um yeah timothy hughes was grandpappy and which is so funny because like how tall is timothy hughes he's in the sixes somewhere but he's like six seven he's six so seven. there you go he's six seven but grandpappy's supposed to be like the smallest little troll the trolls are little <laughs> fixer upper for sure was a standout mm-hmm. for me and a song that i love in the movie and i loved in the musical love is an open door and that dance break is so cute love is an open door Yeah, I agree. Love is an Open Door for me is my favorite song from the movie. I think it's such a great 
love song and then also the meaning flips as soon as you kind of know the twist of the movie. It kind of sounds sinister to me anyway. There have been a multiple videos of Love is an Open Door on the internet so you can see that dance break and by the end, you know, Anna is upside down singing while Hans is carrying her and they're still doing this giant dance break and flipping over each other. It looks so cute. I also heard that was Beyonce's favorite part of the show. Wow. So, you know. I hope she took Blue to see it. Yeah, I think she took Blue. That's really cute. Um, and I think she went backstage and I think Patty Murin said that Beyonce told her that Love is an Open Door was her favorite part. There you go. Um, Patty was also like at the end there six months pregnant doing the dance break in Love is an Open Door. So just upside down. It's fine. I think it's very similar to the movie, which I like. It replicates the same energy, and it's a moment that the kids really enjoyed on stage. I also want to shout out in the movie version, Santino Fontana does this kind of, is it a riff on door? Yeah. Like, I don't even know what he does, but it's so beautiful. I love it so much. That's it. Yeah, it's really great. Another moment that I love, and I don't think that we can talk about Frozen on Broadway without talking about this moment, and that's Monster. It's a new Mm. song. If you are familiar with the scene in the movie, it's when Hans, we start to realize that Hans is a bad character and he basically captures Elsa and puts her in a jail. But I think the reason that Monster, one, the song is great. It's a really awesome, Casey gets to just like let it go for lack of a better term and sings it so well. It's the defying gravity moment, I feel, with the bring back summer. Yeah, maybe... In terms of like where it's placed in the show, though, wouldn't no. Let It Go be Define Gravity and Monster yes. be No Good Deed? Maybe. I'm just p- picturing like the townspeople in in Define Gravity, like trying to get her. And then in Monster, the townspeople are also, I guess, like around her. We could do an entire episode on how Wicked and Frozen are the Parallel. same thing. <laughs> yeah. And also the same cast kind of cycles their way through. Well, you know... Casey Levy is one of the people, also Jackie Burns, who follows in Adina's footsteps. Yes. <laughs> Just anything Adina has done, Casey's there to do it, or Jackie Burns is there to do it. That's would, it. I would love to hear Jackie Burns on these songs. I think she would kill it. She would be really good at it. Yeah. Anyone who's played Alphaba can also play Elsa, in my yes, opinion. Yes, 100%. Um, but yeah, in Monster is when we sort of see it's not evil Elsa because I don't think Elsa is ever really evil at all I think she's just like she's a struggling teen honestly is what it is 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 this a moment where Elsa is potentially contemplating suicide and ending it to try and is this too deep I think I think that is like the like subtle read of the sh- of the song because she wonders if you know if it's all her fault, if she ends her own life, will Arendelle be able to go back to normal? Yeah. But then she decides by the end of the song that is not the right course. She is going to find her sister and save her. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, this moral quandary. If I, if there's the such evil within me that is able to hurt so many people, why do I have these powers and why should they still be able to 
harm people. Yeah, that's true. And I think also at this point in the movie and in the musical, like Arendelle is fully snowed over. There's right. no more sunshine. There's no more anything. So she does have that internal struggle. Um, and then the physicality of that song is, as you said, the townspeople led by Hans are all trying to make sure that she doesn't escape. And this is a set piece moment that I think is done right because Elsa is sort of shooting icicles at them and it comes up at different parts um, of the stage and oh, cool. it's really cool. Also, she's wearing pants. Love the pants. <laughs> the costume is so good. It's really beautiful. And that was... Again, when Frozen was announced coming to Broadway and we got some pro shots and the pants were made a thing, everyone was super excited to see Elsa wearing pants. You know, the first time she dresses herself in ice, it's a gown. But then, you know, two days later, she's like, this is not practical. We're putting pants on. Okay. 100%. Like, you cannot fight off all of these men wearing a dress. And she knows that and she owns that. Those Mm -hmm. pants are amazing. The boots are also amazing. Yeah, I think it's a great costume. I also really like her act one solo, Dangerous to Dream. I think it's really pretty. And so I pull inside myself, close the walls, put up my guard. I practice every single day for this. So why is it so hard? Cause I can't show you I'm not as cold as I seem. There are things I think that song is super pretty. I don't know that it's like on my list of favorite Frozen songs to ever exist, but it's an interesting moment. It's right before she gets um, anointed and she is holding the, which is also an iconic scene in the movie when Elsa is holding the scepter and the ball and she freezes it over, which kind of happens in the musical. Right. Um, But yeah, I agree. That song is, is pretty. Something else that I think that Frozen did well, maybe I would have liked it to be a little better because if you read reviews on Frozen itself, a lot of people like the new songs, but they don't love the new songs. And I think for me, just hearing a soundtrack that I had listened to for so many years and had seen the movie so many times to to hear those songs with a full orchestra was very exciting. And yeah. I think if you listen to the cast recording, it's mastered really well and you can f- hear and feel that energy of a big orchestra on these Disney songs. I think they brought in extra orchestra members for the cast recording specifically. Oh, wow. So they, they did really pay attention to that and want you to have that full sound so we should mention because we haven't mentioned that the music for frozen is written by bobby and Kristen lopez best known for finding nemo the musical (laughs) (laughs) that's their best known property it's not but it is though yes see that download that cast recording because it's really good and it's available and I'm, i'm sure that there's a pro shot somewhere of the finding nemo musical well you can just tape it you can just walk in and take and tape it when you're at Disney. So it was a highlight of our trip, honestly. It's be. We tried to see it twice. We ran out of time, but like we would <laughs> yeah. have seen it. I think it's interesting to note that while they were working on Frozen for Broadway, they were also working simultaneously on Frozen 2. Do we think that that helped or hindered the end result of Frozen 2? Well, I think, you know, they were in the mindset of these characters probably for the past 10 years of their lives, just thinking about Anna, thinking about Elsa, writing music for these characters, think about Christoph Hans, and just being in that world continuously, basically. So, found really quickly. The the second movie music was not as inspired to me as the first movie's music. I agree. I have said this multiple times when Frozen 2 first came out, that there's nothing like First Time in Forever, Love is an Open Door, Let It Go, 
Those are uh-huh. your three staple songs from that movie. And they have one with Into the Unknown, but I don't think that the other ones are up to standards. However, I think Lost in the Woods is really funny. It is really funny, but it is such a tonal shift in oh, that yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. It doesn't so make weird. any sense. <laughs> I When we saw the movie, I really loved Show Yourself. But when I was trying to think of the title of that song this morning, I could not. So that tells you how memorable it was. But that's the moment in the second movie that made me cry because it was very intense with the horse. Yeah. I think if we're going to compare movies, Frozen is a far superior movie to Frozen 2. 100%. Um, But... Frozen 2 was made to sell merchandise. Yeah. Like Elsa takes down her braid and she wears a new dress. And now there's a new dress and a new wig. And that's all everyone needed. (laughs) You need the little like lizard... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. After we saw it, like, you wanted that ice horse. I so wanted the ice horse. They got you. <laughs> I love the ice horse. I would wear the ice horse right now. Well, you're wearing an Elsa headband right I now, am. so you can't even talk. <laughs> no, I am wearing an Elsa headband, but you're also wearing a tiara, so. That's true, but that, this is a generic tiara for all princesses and queens, so it's multi-purpose. Something that I also loved in the Broadway production was how they ended the show. For anyone that's seen the movie knows that this is not a true love's kiss moment. <laughs> Um, It sort of is, but it's between the two sisters, and that was something that Disney played up, and it was very important to show that you don't need a man to, like, get you out of these awful situations. All you need is the love of your family, which is very sweet. And I think that the way that they do it on stage is really great. I obviously was wondering when I found out that Frozen was being adapted, how they would do that final scene where Anna freezes because that's a lot of digital effect on an animated movie. (laughs) And they do a really beautiful big moment where the entire cast is wearing these sort of white capes and they all move their bodies to surround Anna and then Patty Murin who's playing Anna just like stands there and it's a whole like white spotlight but they cover her also in the white cape so it looks like a snowbank almost right and you see Elsa have that breakdown like you do in the movie and she hugs her and she cries and it's a really beautiful moment but what I really love about the musical is that it ends with a version of let it go and it ends with a version of let it go where the two sisters say that they couldn't do this without each other. Uh Specifically, the line, Anna sings to Elsa, you did it, like you saved us from the snow in Arendelle. And Elsa responds by saying, the magic one is you. And I'm like, this is so sweet and such a cute moment. And the way that that song was produced, I think is really beautiful. Let it go, let it go. Show us what you can do. Let it go. Ending your show with Let It Go almost leaves it on a high, and then obviously it starts snowing confetti and everyone is freaking out in the audience. Yes. You can't not do Let It Go again, the most famous song. We're going to do it <laughs> well a third time. It's know? interesting because the... The Frozen that I believe is on the cruise ships is the same one that was at Disneyland California. They ended it with Love is an Open Door. And I was like, this kind of feels like the wrong song. You know what, though? The summer after Frozen came out, we at summer camp, I worked at a theater camp. Tara worked there also, but she wasn't there this summer. We did Frozen. I saw the show, though. You came. You came. And I have the video. But (laughs) we we put Frozen on. And the finale, because I choreographed everything, was Ice Ice Baby. But then we cut into 
love is an open door because it, it was like an up moment and there wasn't this version of let it go if there was we might have done that but why don't you guys do the demi version of let it go we used the demi version of let it go at an earlier point in the show okay you didn't um, want to read mashed it. up mashed up with Katy perry's unconditionally oh right i forgot <laughs> if you recall that <laughs> that's about the unconditional love with sisters that's what i told everyone anyway that was my choice <laughs> That's great. Sometimes at summer camp, you just put out a weird version it's of fine. musicals. We, I think I told you about when I, you weren't there the summer that I did Peter Pan. And right. we ended with... So here's the thing. When you work at a summer camp, as Steph said, you just got to like put songs. So that's, that's why Ice Ice There's Baby no there. legal licensing right. at, at these summer camps. Sorry matter. about it. But you need, to, you need to end your show on a high. And yeah. the only way for us to do that right was we have Peter say to Wendy, call me. And she says, maybe. And then obviously we did a dance number to Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, truly. Iconic. The parents really got a kick out of Ice Ice Baby right at the end, though. They really well, thought see, that was funny. This is the thing, too. When you have us adults working at a kid's camp we we choose to do whatever we want and that was a moment i guess for you guys as much as call me maybe was a moment for me <laughs> i thought it was the funniest thing ever and one of the dads the day after the show this is like a tangent no one cares about but one of the dads the day after the show was like that finale you know ice ice baby then everyone sang loves it open then we went back to ice ice baby. i'm like those yeah, are the moments it. that you live for as a camp counselor to get that recognition from a parent means everything <laughs> truly. truly this is truly a tangent but when you're on the stage and the, all the counselors are being announced and then all the kids applaud you and you're like hoping for the biggest number of applause that is you know the highlight of 20 year old Stefania's life <laughs> yeah me too it was difficult when we all worked there at the same time like you mean Shara yeah I'm not gonna say this to like pump me up but when you're when you're theater specialist because I gave those kids their parts yeah they really love you me. always are the fave you're the you were always the fave they were getting ready for their following session so that I would yeah. give them the lead. <laughs> I was that kid. I knew how it worked. You got to give props to your counselor that's the theater specialist. Moving on from our tangent. <laughs> but yeah, so I agree with you. Ending the show on Let It Go seems like a no-brainer moment because yeah. it's so iconic. And why don't you want people to leave your theater singing the words that they basically came into the theater singing? Yeah. So I totally agree with that. We've already talked a bit about the puppet of Sven, who is an interesting puppet because you don't see the human operating him at all. But the puppet of Olaf is extremely different in that you see the face of the actor operating the puppet and Olaf is kind of in front of him or her and they are you're singing their mouth singing but you're also seeing the Olaf puppet move I don't know what was that like to see in person for you how long are you how often are you watching the person's face versus the puppet's face so again speaking on my Disneyland California <laughs> experience it was the same thing they also had a puppet for Olaf so I sort of knew what I was getting myself into. Um, I think it's worth noting that Greg Hildreth, who played Olaf on Broadway, is very similar in looks and sound to Josh Gad, who voiced Olaf in the movie. So I think when Olaf first comes out, because he comes out from one of the wings, you just see the puppet, and mm -hmm. it's very exciting for the children when <laughs> Olaf comes out, let me tell you. All the kids love In Summer. I could care less about that song, but the, the kids worst live song. for it. Oh my God, it is painful. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like a half and half. I think what's really cool about the puppet, which was also something that I loved in the movie, is specifically in the scene where Elsa fights that ice monster, 
the marshmallow guy and Olaf like loses his body parts. They were able to do that on stage with the puppet as well. So (laughs) losing his carrot nose and his head kind of detached from his body is something that I loved in the movie and loved in the musical. Um, Also when he melts for Anna at the the very end, they were able to like shift his body so it looked like he was actually melting. But I think because there were so many other people on stage that – Greg Hildreth, for who I saw, just like was in the background and the puppet really did stand out. I I don't know. I, I'm actually interested to hear like a kid's perspective on who they watched, if right. it was the adult or if it was the puppet. I would assume that the kids would watch the puppet. Yeah, there was like a suspension of disbelief stage magic in a puppet. Um, I, I am someone who loves to see the mechanics of puppeteering. I remember seeing War Horse mm-hmm. and loving just because those, those horses were metal and you could see inside or see beside where the humans were operating them and i think i love watching that like theater magic happening right in front of you um but yeah i'd be interested to know what a kid would say and how they would react and how realistic it seemed to them also we should mention that frozen gender bent olaf and ryan redmond got to step in and play olaf which was amazing she's great casting for that part we talked about that before but she's great casting for that part i think uh it really suits her. And I think it's fun that Frozen and Disney was willing to push the boundaries with casting. Mm-hmm, for sure. And just to continue on casting, um, as we know, Frozen played its final performance in March. And as we said, there were three actors that stepped into the lead characters for Frozen 2.0. And that's Ryan McCartan, Sierra Renee, and Mackenzie Kurtz. Sierra Renee was the first Black woman to play Elsa in Frozen. And I know that they changed her costumes a little bit. The wig was a little bit darker haired, which honestly, it was so beautiful on her Mm -hmm. skin tone. I think they did a great job in changing the wig for that. And also uh, the original standby for Anna on Frozen was Aisha Jackson, who is a black woman, a black actress. There's a great episode of The Ensemblist that I would recommend people listening to where she talks about her audition process. um, Auditioning for Frozen and what happened after she got cast and going on and what it was like to go on. But the Cliff's notes of that is that they told her, we're considering you for Anna. We're not just bringing you in to fill some quota, which is something she says happens often, but that they are considering her for this and we want you to succeed and be able to do this part. And obviously she was hired and was wonderful in the role. Um, even also in that, I want to, I want people to listen to this episode of The Ensemblist, but she talks about seeing, you know, young black girls in the audience in Anna costumes or having Anna dolls, but the Anna dolls were white because that's what they sold in the stores and being able to, you know, get black Anna dolls made and given to the girls that she saw in the audience. And that, I don't know, that really, it got me emotional. It touched me. (laughs) Yeah. I said it earlier in this episode, like watching a four-year-old watch her heroes on stage is something that is really beautiful to watch. And why do Mm -hmm. we have to put a race on that? So you want to see these princesses look like you and Mm -hmm. the fact that these dolls were made and that she got to make extra dolls to give to some people in the audience is amazing. So I definitely agree with that. Frozen played his final performance on March 11th. And it was kind of surprising. We've talked about that a Disney show was the first major musical to announce they wouldn't be returning after the shutdown, especially because I get the sense that performers in Disney shows on Broadway consider them kind of government jobs, very safe for the most part. They're not a little bit of job security. And a lot of people had just got into that show, said, okay, even if I don't have job have work right now, I have something to go back to after this is over. And now the ca- the full cast, crew, stage management, front of house staff of Frozen does not at the St. James. 
So the budget or capitalization of Frozen was 25 to 30 million. Disney theatrical is very cagey with their finances. They don't tell us when shows recoup, whereas other production companies, theatrical companies will announce when shows recoup. So it's interesting. I like to know when shows recoup. It's interesting to me. So the budget capitalization was 25 to 30 million. That doesn't seem like a massive, insane budget, but it is big. It seems normal. My speculation, and I'm not sure if I'm right on this, but Disney Theatrical is a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Corporation. And I'm sure a part of that capitalization was paying Walt Disney Corporation for the licensing of Frozen, for the intellectual Mm -hmm. property of Frozen. So that's probably also part of that. Even though they are, you know, owned by the same people, the same head, Disney Theatrical has to get the rights from their parent. So it is an interesting, it's interesting stuff to think about. The other interesting thing to think about, we have those three Broadway, Disney Broadway shows um, that we're running. And Aladdin is in the New Amsterdam, which Disney signed a 49-year lease for in 1995. So they're kind of committed to being in that theater where they're paying extra rent to the St. James for Frozen to be in there. Mm -hmm. So it's just different consideration. Aladdin was making over a million dollars a week before Broadway shut down. And Lion King was making $1.5 million a week, which seems crazy. I feel like Lion King's been on Broadway for how many years? 23 years. So I feel like in the last, I mean, I'm sure it was making so much money before, but I feel like in the last like five years, it really ramped up and the ticket prices were kind of insane. That's the thing, because ticket prices have continued to rise and you can find a discount ticket to Aladdin you cannot find a discount ticket to The Lion King. No, that's it's one crazy. show that um, Aladdin, always on the TKTS boards. Yeah. Lion King, never. And also, no. I've heard that the lottery is very difficult to win on Lion King. Why would they do a lottery if everyone's buying tickets? You know what I mean? That's true. But I remember when I was looking at ticket prices for Lion King here, I ended up going off of a media mm-hmm. ticket at work. But when I wanted to see it, I think the standing average price was like 175 a ticket for good tickets in new york it was like 330 for that same seat it was crazy what they were charging i i mean i can see a family goes to new york and they're not like us who's you know scrounging for a deal they're thinking what's the show i want to see oh the lion king i can take the kids to that we'll probably enjoy that it's had great reviews everyone says good things about it so they buy their tickets a long time in advance whereas other shows that are long mainstays um, on Broadway that cater to tourists, which I think The Lion King also does, mm-hmm. are more of day of buys, which mm-hmm. is like a Chicago, a phantom. Yeah. But The Lion King, because it's for families, you can't you know, have a five-year-old in the TKTS line or at the day of rush line in the way that you would for these other shows. And so I just feel like it's the market, it's the audience that is buying those tickets that caters to whether it's like sold out in advance or not. Imagine... A family going to see Lion King for like $2,000 and that's your one night out. That's actually insane. It, when you really think about Broadway prices and you think of a family of four going, because, you know, we're a family of four. You guys are a family of five. Yeah. It's actually so crazy, the cost. I can't even remember the last time my entire family went to a show together. Yeah. We are we're, uh, deal scroungers here. <laughs> we are rush ticket lovers. We, we go for the cheap ones. You know, the other night we were looking, or was it last night? We were looking at how many shows we've seen and I was like, Deal, deal, yeah. deal. I was going through my programs the other day. I was like, saw this for free. Paid yeah. 20 bucks. Saw this for free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I was like, ooh, a full price ticket. Yeah. I So when I saw Frozen the first time, I did buy a full price ticket. I bought tickets as soon as they went on sale because I, like I think most people, thought that it was going to be super hot ticket, super mm. hot movie. Everyone's going to want to see this show. So I basically like planned a trip to New York that was around Frozen and Mean Girls. The yeah. second time I saw it, 
And I will admit, we bought <laughs> tickets off of StubHub because they were significantly cheaper than what um, the box office was selling. And we got to New York kind of late and it was a last minute purchase for us. And I will let you know that those tickets were $70 a seat, which is pretty decently cheap. I know that a year later for top balcony though for top balcony yes but a year later people were finding seats up there for like 35 40 dollars so it really went down i have also read many articles that said disney would say that the house was sold out when it was not mm. and people would say that it's only like three quarters of the way sold out yet their box office is claiming that it's sold out so that was a question of is disney theatrical buying these seats and not putting anybody in them they're just buying them to keep up that image that the show is doing well i wonder if they would close the balcony and just not sell it at all that would have been interesting move everyone down yeah and just say oh we're not selling those so we're sold out st james is a big theater and the Mm -hmm. balcony is so steep up there (laughs) so it is like you are getting up there when you get up there (laughs) sometimes Um, when you're so high up and you look down it's it's scary scary scary. when i saw harry potter in london we were like fifth top balcony and it was an opera house so it was so tall yeah and i looked down i'm like ah this is too much for me this (laughs) is too scary (laughs) yes so who knows how long frozen would have lasted on broadway even without the shutdown but the shutdown was kind of you know the nail in the coffin Mm -hmm. and now they don't have to i wonder if they're still paying rent to the saint james because their stuff is all there so interesting that's true question we're not going to get into this too much but i do think it's important to note that the creative team changed very early in the process Mm. and i do wonder as someone that's seen a couple alex timbers directed shows now if that would have changed the style of frozen itself i mean i'm thinking of beetlejuice and moulin rouge specifically and how elaborate and incredible those set pieces are and i wonder if under the direction of alex timbers if things would have been different he does love a practical set and prop he's not a projection guy i think of alex timbers doing rocky and that the ring the ring like descending into the audience and yeah, I think Frozen probably would look much different under his direction, for yeah, sure. Yeah, would have been interesting. Uh, Michael Grandage, who ended up directing it, he's from the UK. He's a UK director. He does a lot of Shakespeare. He does do a lot of Shakespeare. Um, I was looking at his Broadway resume. He does a bunch, but like notable Broadway stuff was the recent Evita revival, which was like mixed reviews which i believe was the last production that he had worked on with choreographer rob ashford they worked on a beat right right so was was that a package deal maybe you know someone gets hired and you're like i love this person's choreography let's bring them on or Mm -hmm. i love this i enjoy this person i want to work with them again you know a a lot of this business is connections if you've worked with someone and enjoyed working with them you bring them back Mm -hmm. um he also directed some plays like the cripple of inishman with danny radcliffe red which was like really critically acclaimed yeah um, it's interesting. Yeah, I, he's kind of an interesting choice as a director for Frozen, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then we had just been discussing off the mic that uh, Betsy Wolf was the in the original workshop read for Elsa. Um, mm. We had heard Casey sort of say this without saying anybody's name at her yeah. concert that they could have swapped parts. Uh, Casey was in consideration for Jenna and Waitress, I think. To replace at one point, yeah. Yeah. Um, As we said, Patty Murin played Anna. She has been with it, I think, since the beginning. She was in that first workshop, yeah. Yeah, and Oak from Hamilton. Kristoff in that first workshop. So that was an idea that they had right from the beginning to have a black man play Kristoff. Yeah. You know, we talk about these three Disney theatrical productions that are on Broadway, but there are others, and there were others that didn't do as well. The Little Mermaid. (laughs) The Little Mermaid, um, 
Well, it ran for two years, but it was people didn't like it. No, people didn't like it. I think the Heelys are such a great idea <laughs> for to show fish, it's and cute. she's in love is a great song. So. It also introduced me to Sierra Bagas, so that is a yeah, win for me. That was her Broadway debut, which is crazy. Um, another flop, Disney flop. Well, not flop. It ran, but Tarzan. I think it was a hit in Germany. I mean, I I do think that they could do really cool things with Tarzan because you know it's in the jungle and they can do some really cool like vine swinging. But I every know. time I hear the music from Tarzan, I forget how good it is. It's so good. Oh yeah, the Phil, Phil Collins. Collins stuff. It's really good. I would yeah. watch that movie again, actually. <laughs> Um, Tarzan was running at Animal Kingdom in Disney World where Finding Nemo is and they replaced it with Finding Nemo. I saw that Tarzan. I'm pretty sure we have the entire thing on video. (laughs) Amazing. Honestly, though, if you've learned anything from this podcast, the Disney Parks productions are outrageously good. Also, Festival of the Lion King, incredible. We participated. It was a highlight. (laughs) Super fun. A bunch of six-year-olds and us. And obviously, Mary Poppins is still doing very well in the West End. So that's a show that I feel like it could come back eventually. It could go on tour. People seem well, to enjoy it. It was on, I think, for five plus years at the New Amsterdam pre-Aladdin. And then it had closed on the West End and it's recently reopened. They're doing it again. It's a great show for tourists. Mary Poppins is what I consider one of my favorite movies. So I don't know. I love that music and I love that story. Beauty and the Beast also ran for a really long time on Broadway. And I think they're supposed to be bringing that back. There's a little bit of rumors that that could be coming back sooner yeah. than we think. And also Aida. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Aida is the kind of anomaly in Disney theatrical because it is not based on uh, a Disney movie. It's based on an opera. I live for Aida and I would (laughs) see it any day. The other one that there's sort of been whispers about because of its performance uh, at the public is Hercules. With Jelani. With Jelani. Jelani. There's also a little bit of rumors that there's live action Hercules coming. So also Hunchback. Oh yeah. We want, I want to see Hunchback. (laughs) Honestly, okay. I take that back. If you're going to take anything away from this podcast, go and listen to the Hunchback cast recording that's out there with Patrick Page and Michael Arden. I think I've said this in like episode two or three of our <laughs> podcast because we did a way too early Tony nominations. Maybe it was episode one, but wow, the music from Hunchback is so beautiful and that show needs to make its way to Broadway like immediately. I will be there first, ready to go. <laughs> Let's bring Michael Arden back to Broadway. Yes. There's obviously a lot of Disney musicals slash movies that we would love to see on Broadway, but final thoughts on Frozen is for me... I really enjoyed seeing the show. I love that movie. I love the music. And I do think that it's really sad and disappointing that Frozen is no longer on Broadway. And I really feel for those actors that just stepped in at the end there because they didn't even get a full run. They didn't even get close to a full run. So I really do feel for them. Um, But as we've said, I feel like in our last few episodes now, there is a cast recording that you can listen to. So let the show live on in that way because it is really good and I think that it's mastered really well and if you like the movie you'll like this music I think that cast recording is really well done and I would definitely recommend listening to it it does capture the spirit of the show I also think you will have the opportunity to be able to see Frozen the tour is scheduled to return as soon as it is able to so um, hopefully it comes to a city near you plus There's a production that's supposed to open in London, a production that's supposed to open in Sydney, and a production that's supposed to open in Hamburg. So there will be more Frozen, just not on Broadway anymore. And if you want to watch Frozen, both of those movies are now out. So if you find yourself missing a little bit of Frozen, you can watch both of those movies. Ah! 
(laughs) (laughs) And with that being said, it's now time for our obsession of the week. My obsession this week is to contrast Frozen, the one of the least family-friendly musicals to ever exist. So <laughs> Octet is a chamber choir musical written by uh, Dave Malloy, and it's about eight internet addicts in a support group, and they each share their story. And it's a lot of the the songs are almost hymns Mm -hmm. it's they're very interesting it's like music i haven't heard before they're all doing a different vocal part this is not three-part harmony it's like eight-part harmony oh yeah it's truly insane um but my favorite song is actually and it's sung by the character of toby played by justin gregory lopez i was just listening to the full cast recording because as i've been doing listening to new cast recordings recently and this song jumped out at me and all i could think is whose voice is this i love it so much and there's a point kind of like near the end of the song where it starts getting auto-tuned and i like chills chills all over my body at this moment and the just the first time i heard it it super grabbed me so that song is actually sung by justin gregory lopez in octet I dissociate all the time Like I'm not completely here right now I feel very far away from myself right now I don't trust myself anymore And I don't love and it premiered at the Signature last year. So yeah. I hope there are plans for another production or some future life for that show, because I think it's super interesting. Yeah. Um, as we're recording, it's June 2nd right now. Uh, the Drama Desk Awards were meant to be on May 31st. They were postponed, but Octet was nominated for a bunch of awards. So I'm interested to see if they take some of those. Um, I think it's also super important to note, and I haven't done this yet because I haven't found that window of time, but <laughs> you are instructed to listen to that cast recording from beginning to end with no distractions because yeah. there's so much going on that you really need to take in what all of those eight part people are singing <laughs> i was just playing games on my phone and listening to it so that seems correct but like <laughs> don't be looking at a recipe or like watching a tv show or doing anything else give yourself that hour and just listen to that cast recording but yeah and it's out there it's on all streaming platforms yeah. so take a listen to it Something that is unfortunately not out there on all streaming platforms, but what I have been listening to for a full week now since it was released is, I think we talked about this like kind of recently, but Musical Stage Co. and Canadian Stage were in collaboration to put out a new, brand new Canadian musical called Kelly vs. Kelly. We don't really know what the plot is. We know it is a tango dancer and... That's really all I could tell you off the top of my head right now. But a song was released from Kelly V. Kelly, and it's Eugenia at the Tango Club. And this song, speaking of harmonies, is ridiculous. You're doing nothing wrong. But your mother sleeping safe and tight has never had this kind of night. Imagine growing up and being anything like her. on Musical Stage Company's YouTube channel and the YouTube title is An Intoxicating New Canadian Musical and I would agree that this song is intoxicating. It's 
so stunning. I need to shout out Haley Gillis. We saw her in Ghost Quartet. Her voice is crazy good. More Dave Malloy. And also, I feel like her voice fits these like weird, kind of minory, yeah. beautiful, haunting musicals. The song is amazing. It was written by Britta Johnson, who um, is well known for some of her Canadian productions, specifically Life After is one that a lot of people know about. I think it also did a performance in the States. It's scheduled to be at Arena Stage next season. So We don't know when Kelly v. Kelly will make its stage debut, but whenever it comes out, this song made me want to see this show that much more. Steph had sent it to me. She hadn't listened to the song. And then I messaged being like, did you hear this? Because you need to hear this. <laughs> it's actually so good. If I'm just doing nothing, I'm like, let's go listen to the Kelly v. Kelly song again. Right? It's two minutes long. The The girls in the background are oh doing my God. this like, really cool stuff. Yeah. It's just so cool. It's just these four girls with uh, Britta playing at the piano. And it's so beautiful and so stunning. And if... Again, I say this all the time, but if that's the style of music that's going to be in this musical, like I'm ready to watch this show and I'm super excited too. And we will say if you listen to the song and you like the song, you should listen to our next episode because we may or may not have a special guest. We said this in our last episode, Obsessions, but like Canadian new original music is where it's at right now and we need to give some credit where credit is due and that song is amazing. But yeah, that wraps up our obsessions and also Frozen, our thoughts and feelings on Frozen and the sad closure of Frozen on Broadway. If we hear about other shows that are closing or not reopening on Broadway, obviously we will let you know and you can find out that information by following us on Twitter and Instagram at off 2 Podcast. That's with the number two. And you can listen to us anywhere podcasts are found. That includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.